All right, so uh, hopefully everybody is having a good Labor Day weekend. It's awesome to see all of you here today, although I say that and I recognize that for many of us here this morning, there is an element of, of somberness uh, for different reasons as I look around. And one of the things that, that honestly, this is, this is totally off script, but one of the challenges for us as a church is there's been an element in church culture, especially in recent decades, of, of kind of like wanting to put on a show a little bit. And so, you know, like, be happy, be joyful. And, and that is certainly something that we are called to, to be as Christians. We are called to be joyful. Um, but there are also times where we lament. Right? This is a biblical idea. And so for, hopefully for some of you in this room today, hopefully today is a super joyful day. You're thinking, I don't have to go to work tomorrow. I get to spend time with my kids. Uh, I get to spend time with family, friends, whatever the case might be. And, and that's awesome. And, and we celebrate that and we seek to be joyful with those that are joyful. But we also recognize that there are times to weep with those who weep. And so there, there's you know, been an element of that in today's service as well. And that's something we, we do lean into sometimes here at Byfield as well, because that's part of the life that we live. As Jim pointed out, we do live in a broken world and there are struggles and there are challenges. So with that, I am going to transition to our service today. Uh, my whole life, I've, I've been tall. Okay. So my parents are here today. You can... You can express condolences to my mother after the service because when I was born, I was born three weeks late in Texas in June, not an ideal time to be carrying a baby an extra three weeks. And I was 23 inches long when I was born. I was 10 pounds, 12 ounces. All right. That is not a small baby. Um, some of the women are like, ah, that, yeah, that is, not, that is not a small baby at all. Uh, my mom will tell you that when I, was, when I was little, when I was a baby, when I was a toddler, and she would put me in childcare situations, the childcare staff would somehow, sometimes express concerns that I was not very smart because I was just big for my age, so they thought I was not a smart baby. And then when I went to school, I was never like the tallest kid in my school, but I was always one of the tallest kids. One of the questions I get asked a lot, just it's weird, like being tall, just walking around the world. Some of you have had this experience. People feel very comfortable asking you how tall you are, which I find slightly odd. Like I wouldn't walk up to somebody that was short and be like, so how tall are you? Right. <laughs> um, but people feel very comfortable doing this. And they also will frequently ask me if I played basketball. And I didn't play basketball in high school. And when you tell people that, that don't know you and you're 6'6", they look at you like, wow, you must really be a klutz, right? This is the look they give. And so then I always have to say, I didn't play basketball in high school. I went to a big high school. Three of the starters on the basketball team were 6'8", 6'8", and 6'10". So being 6'6", it wasn't, it wasn't anything spectacular. Uh, but in any case, throughout my life, and, and this continued in college as well, when Anne first met me, she referred to me as Tall Brent for like the first year and I knew each other. I was Tall Brent. That was how people talked about me in college. So why am I telling all of this about being tall? You guys already know I'm tall. I'm sharing this information because for most of my life, for a lot of my life, my identity has been very wrapped up in being tall. It's kind of a weird thing to have your identity be built around, but we all have these 
different traits that we build an identity upon. Maybe it's being smart, attractive, or funny. For some, it may be some negative traits. Whatever the case may be, when you have a trait that you build an identity, identity upon, there's this de desire to maintain that trait. So for instance, if you have an attractive young woman and she builds her identity on the trait of being attractive, as she ages, she will make a lot of efforts to maintain that trait. A, a, a man that is really good at making money will want everyone to know that he's good at making money because that's his identity. That trait is what he is building his identity upon. Now, most of the traits that we aspire to exhibit are kind of ridiculous. Being tall is a great example of this. What does it say positively about me that I am tall. Seriously, why should anyone care? I guess there are scenarios where people need things reached on a high shelf. That happens at the grocery store sometimes. But in general, this is a really weird thing for anyone to care about. It's like we all decided when we were five years old that being tall had some value and we never grew out of it. Now, today's verses focus on traits that we should avoid and traits we should prioritize. The traits we exhibit as Christians depend on how we walk in the provision God has made for us. These verses tell us how to avoid undesirable traits and embody exceptional traits. So if you would please turn with me to Galatians 5, verses 16 through 26. Those verses are on the Pew Bible on page 916 and will be projected on the screen behind me as well. Hear the word of the Lord. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you were led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. 
Throughout the book of Galatians, Paul has been writing to a church filled with people that are trying to build an identity for themselves. Their approach to developing the traits they think of as desirable for such an identity is not giving them the results they desire. It is doing the opposite in trying to be good They are separating themselves from the good that has been made available to them by the faith Paul preached to them. Like them, we want good traits. We want to have the identity of being a good person. And like them, we sometimes pursue how to be good wrongly. The only way for us to develop the traits that correspond to the identity we should desire is by walking with the Holy Spirit. Christians are making a choice every day of our lives. The choice is between two opposing possibilities. We can walk by the Spirit or we can gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh, they are a powerful, ongoing influence in our lives. We do not need to be trained to operate by the flesh in our lives. This mode of being comes naturally to us. It is reflexive. We don't have to make any effort to operate by the flesh. We just give in to what feels desirable or empowering. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. The list of what happens when the flesh holds sway in our lives is broad and all-encompassing. Paul concludes this list of undesirable behaviors by saying, and things like these. The point is not to focus on just avoiding specific behaviors. It's not not a checklist. Well, I don't do that one. I'm not a drunk and I'm not a sorcerer. It is better to avoid any of these behaviors than not, but the specifics are secondary to how the flesh causes us to operate in general. We tend to think of tyrants, people whose power is not limited in the world, as being especially bad people. They often do gross and horrific things. Tyrants behave in worse ways than the average person, not because they are especially bad, but because their power allows them to act out their fleshly desires in ways not available to the average person. Paul is highlighting the operation of the flesh, not so we can condemn others for where they fall short, but as a personal warning to us. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
Nobody is immune to the operation of the flesh. We all need to be wary of how our flesh is leading to behaviors we should want to avoid. Most people have some awareness there are times when the traits they exhibit don't line up with the personal identity they want to have. In addition to these impulses of the flesh, there is a desire to be good. Every person, each of us, we have a conscience and awareness of moral law. The people Paul is writing to in Galatians had an additional awareness of God's law given through Moses. However degraded in us, there's awareness of God's expectations imprinted on every human heart which we aspire to. The extent of this awareness isn't the same for all, but it is present. The flesh keeps us from doing the good that we know we should do. For the most part, people, we want to do the right thing in life. It actually takes a fair amount of trauma to become a person that exhibits no desire for good. Even people that seem to wallow in immorality, still, they still want to be good parents. They still want to be good friends. The inherent desire to be good is why even people who do not believe in anything transcendent put so much effort into excusing their actions when they do something wrong. We all want to overcome what Paul refers to as the flesh. But no person can overcome the flesh that causes them to exhibit negative traits they want to avoid on their own. We cannot transcend our own flesh. What happens is that the flesh, it skews even our good desires. When I evaluate myself, which works of the flesh I exhibit most frequently, I, I exhibit those that are in the middle of this list most frequently. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions. My struggles in these areas are often tied to a good desire. I'll give you an example. I want to have a peaceful home. It's a high priority for me. When something happens that destroys that peace, I get angry. My anger is not a righteous anger that aligns with God. It's, it's more like a temper tantrum, okay? Now, the, my kids, my wife, the people I'm interacting with, it may not come across to them like a temper tantrum, but in my head, it is a temper tantrum. And most frequently, when my peace is interrupted, I'm directing this anger I feel at my kids. Now, I'm not saying it's never appropriate for me to be angry at my kids. I'm saying there are times when my anger is an outworking of my flesh, 
which I directed them to bring an, about an outcome I desire. I want peace, which isn't bad. So I use my fleshly anger to pursue this good goal. It's not okay. What Paul describes is the flesh is as much a part, a part of who we are as is our personality or the blood flowing through our veins. The individual who tries to destroy their own flesh, it's, it's a lot like a dog chasing its tail. For the most part, it is just a lot of spinning around in circles that leads nowhere. Even when there is some measure of success, nothing really changes, although we might succeed in inflicting some pain on ourselves that makes us feel as if we are accomplishing something. A lot of what gets called religion is just a lot of individuals agreeing that a certain form of tail chasing is the best way to overcome the operation of the flesh. People seeing others attempt the same religious pursuit may give the feeling of success. It doesn't change the underlying reality. It doesn't change the fact that we cannot choose to stop operating by the flesh on our own. To overcome the operation of our own flesh in us, we need the Holy Spirit. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law, Paul says. The Holy Spirit is not under the law. The law Paul refers to tells us what we should and shouldn't do. The Spirit makes it possible for us to actually live out the law. I want you to Think about God for a moment. Why is God good? Why is God good? God is good because he does nothing wrong, of course, but there is more. God's goodness is a positive attribute. It is something that comes from within himself. God is not good because he lives up to an external legal standard of goodness. God does not work to keep the law. The law is a reflection of who God is. When we try to keep the law of God on our own, we are trying to live up to an external standard that unlike God, we don't have the internal resources to satisfy. We cannot be good as God is good. We always fall short. We are not God. We don't have the unadulterated good within us to meet the standards of good that have come to us from God. Participation in God's kingdom is participation in his goodness. We can only participate in God's goodness in our lives through walking with God's spirit. We can't bring good out of ourselves. Only God is good the Spirit can bring good about in and through us. The fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are a list of the good traits the Spirit can bring about through us. 
For me, these descriptors of what result from walking with the Spirit, they are a source of hope. They are a description of the type of person I want to be. I want others to perceive me as having these traits. More importantly, I want to feel this way myself. Being a person that feels love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that sounds amazing. Life with the Spirit embraces what we should be. There are nine gifts, nine fruit of the Spirit listed in these verses. I challenge anyone to come up with a better list of nine traits you'd want to exhibit. Some people would identify traits that are highly desired in our world if, if they were being honest. They would say, well, you know, it's, it's great to be loving, but it's also really nice to be rich or smart, talented, gorgeous, popular, powerful, respected, or, or physically fit. While those traits are desirable, they don't bring satisfaction. Some of the most miserable people you'll ever interact with have the traits the world prioritizes in abundance. It is not that the traits highly valued in our world are inherently bad, they're just insufficient. As Christians, we have an opportunity for more. We should prioritize the fruit of the Spirit. I long to be the sort of person that would consistently exhibit, exhibit these attributes in every area of my life. My longing to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit can only be accomplished by the Spirit working in me. The same is true for all of you. Walking in the Spirit is a continuation of our salvation in Christ. Paul writes in verse 24, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This seems to go against what Paul has been saying in the preceding verses. Those who belong to Christ have already crucified the flesh. Why does Paul say in verse 16, but I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Well, which is it? Is the flesh crucified already for those that belong to Christ? Or do we need to walk in the spirit to avoid gratifying the flesh? Diving into the, to the grammar, this is one of those situations where that's helpful. So we're going to do that real quick. The verb translated in English as have crucified is the Greek verb estourosan. When we read the English translation and it says have crucified, we think of a past event, but that's not totally what the grammar is indicating. The crucifixion of the flesh has happened in every Christian when we come to faith, yes. 
However, the Greek verb, it's not purely past tense. It's what's called an aorist indicative. The aorist indicative is a verbal form we don't have in English, but in the Greek, it was used to express things that happen in general without asserting time. It could also be used for present and future events. The aorist also has several specialized senses, meaning present action. What this means is for Christians, the crucifixion of the flesh is a past event with present implications and a future certainty. By the Spirit, we can enjoy freedom from the fleshly impulses that result in the traits we want to avoid. Previously in Galatians, Paul has talked about returning to worldly ways of doing things as a return to spiritual slavery. Doing so, it doesn't make any sense. You can live that way, but why would you? We're supposed to be moving forward in the grace we've been given with the Spirit. When this happens, the fruit of the Spirit will result. You become the type of person whose identity is associated not with traits of the flesh, but instead with fruits of the Spirit. If we are not making any progress in exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit, that is robust evidence that we are not walking by the Spirit. Limited or or no fruit means we are choosing to walk by the flesh instead of the Spirit. It would be silly to take credit for the good that does result in our lives when we walk by the Spirit. And yet, that is what is known to happen. Christians are tempted to act as if their spiritual state, when it is good, is a result of their own efforts. We want to have an identity for ourselves. Traits that we can point to that make us valuable. Our fleshly desire for status does not disappear. Paul warns against the possibility of Christians being conceited. Not only is it foolhardy, such conceit, it, it, dri- it drives Christians from one another. It is an outworking of the flesh. There is no higher status for us than being unified with God through Christ and the Holy Spirit. Such a relationship is the only worthwhile identity. If unity with God is not enough for you, nothing will ever be enough. The proper relationship with God is what you were made for. Experiencing our relationship with God is its own glory. There's no higher glory to aspire to. In that ultimate satisfaction, our souls are content to dwell. We should humbly direct our praise to God, Father, Son, and Spirit, for including us in His glory. God could have left us to wallow in the works of our flesh. 
The only interruption to our angst would be the temporary distraction of sin or our own doomed efforts to fix ourselves. We would live with the rightful suspicion our efforts to satisfy were in vain. Our souls would be shredded by our experiences. The only identity we could cobble together would be temporary. It would be rooted in our own failing efforts. We may appear to succeed for a time, but we can't ultimately bring about lasting good in ourselves on our own. This is not where God leaves us. Through Jesus, he makes a way. Through the Holy Spirit, he shows us how to live out that way. God, in his love, has made it possible for us to locate our identity in him. He has made an identity for us. The fruits of the Spirit are an outworking of God's love in us. We can rejoice in what God has done. He loves us enough to make us whole again. We must remember where every good thing begins. It all begins with God. He is the source of any good that we experience in ourselves and in the world. Over the course of this summer, we've been looking at the Holy Spirit. And in, in many ways, we start off the summer saying this, the Holy Spirit is the most mysterious member of the Trinity. And we have hit on some of those mysteries. Hopefully some of the questions you might have had about the Holy Spirit have been answered to some extent this summer, although I'm sure that you have more. There may be a time that there will be a time where we have those ultimate questions about the Holy Spirit answered. In the meantime, we will continue to have questions, but here's the thing. Here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. The Bible is very clear about what happens when the Holy Spirit is at work within us. The Bible is very clear. When the Holy Spirit is at work in you, you will exhibit the traits of the Spirit. You will show love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I think sometimes the questions we ask about the Holy Spirit are to avoid the clear implications of what we know to be true about the Holy Spirit in our own lives. If we are not seeing these fruits in our lives, there is some problem. There is some disconnect. We are operating by the flesh and we are choosing slavery to the world. The Holy Spirit has been sent by God through Christ to help us develop Christian traits. He does so by speaking truth into our lives. Our desire should be to fully take on the unique identity God has given each of us. This happens through the Holy Spirit freely operating in our lives. It happens 
when we walk with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Dear Lord, our ability to fully grasp the truth of of Father, Son, or Spirit is limited. There are mysteries that, that we cannot fully wrap our minds around in our limited state, Lord. But what we do know, what we can know with confidence, is what has been done for us, what has been made available to us, Lord. I pray that we would grab on to that mercy that has been extended to us. That for those in this room that don't have a saving faith, that they would turn to Christ as their Lord and Savior. For those of us that that have believed, that have staked our lives to you, that we would seek to live out the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we would turn over our lives to the Spirit, recognizing that we can only have the identity you have intended for us if we walk in the truth that the Spirit makes available to us. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.